each one of us lived up to our potential and managed our resources so well that we could provide for ourselves, our families, and our communities in a meaningful and substantial way. Join Step Right with Lynn, the show dedicated to empowering socially conscious individuals to manage their financial resources for the benefit of themselves, their families, and the greater community. Here's Lynn Wedham, Certified Financial Planner and Managing Partner at Step Right Capital Planning. This is Riola, the producer at A to Zen FM, and this is Step Right with Lynn. We're having a couple technical difficulties getting her um, so you can hear her. So I am going to be introducing the show this morning. So today's show is Building Strong Communities, One Orphan at a Time. And we are um, going to be ta- – actually, Lynn's going to be talking about that today. And it's ever wonder what is really happening in Africa. You see the images on television Hear the appeals for help and try to grasp the scope of need. What is happening on the ground? Who is doing the work? Where is all the money going? And is anything really changing for the better? Project HOPE seeks through African partnerships to develop effective long-term solutions that strengthen the community's ability to care for widows and orphans. Project HOPE values sustainability and accountability and endeavors to care for the whole person. Spend some time with us as we unpack uh, for you, the world of Project Hope in Africa, and share their heartbeat for those at risk. So I have today with me Christopher. Christopher, would you like to tell us a little bit about you and about Project Hope, and uh, just give us a, a short bio? Sure. It's great to be with you this morning. Uh, my name is Christopher Graves, and I'm the Executive Director of uh, Project Hope. I've been with the organization since June of 2009. And Project Hope has been actively working in the context of Sub-Saharan Africa since 2001. Uh, as you mentioned in our lead-in, our mandate is to uh, find effective part- African partnerships to uh, create long-term solutions for communities at risk, most notably vulnerable people populations, i.e. widows and orphans. And uh, we are very much interested in sustainable solutions so that uh, ideally by strengthening communities, uh, we help vulnerable people become self-sustaining and, and therefore uh, get back on their feet and positively moving forward with hope in their lives. Uh, we are currently um, partnered with seven projects, one in Tanzania and six in Zambia, and uh, we are actively working with uh, terrific people on the ground in Africa who are really lighting the way for us in terms of leadership and commitment uh, and uh, credibility in their communities uh, so that we can have maximum impact with the dollars that uh, are always in limited supply, but by having maximum impact on the lives of people who are very much at risk day to day. So what what causes that risk? You know, that like what is the, one of the underlying factors? Is it poverty? Is it lack of education? Well, in Africa, you know, again, at-risk populations, primarily, you know, poverty stemming from uh, very much health risk-related situations, of course, HIV/AIDS is still predominant uh, in most of Africa, as much as you know other parts of the world. Really, in the parts of Africa where we're working as well, malaria is a very prevalent, uh, prevalent problem for many people who just uh, live in areas where it is the number one um, problem. Uh, and and really, again, the economic situations and impact to day-to-day village life. One of the things that uh, I've learned in my 20 years traveling in and out of Africa is that. Africa is a very vibrant community. 
however, that community, uh, as similar as it is to our context in the Western world, it is a unique community in that it works a little differently than our first world uh, ideas. But obviously the first world has had a great impact on that sense of community. And so their level of poverty and their inability to be self-sustaining uh, has really created this epidemic in Africa where we've seen generations lost, not only to HIV AIDS, but just to uh, general illness, malaria related and otherwise. Obviously because of poverty, then you have systemic malnutrition and, and then everything else spirals out of control because then all the infrastructure is at risk from business to banking to education where they just can't have their usual typical village life. And one of the things that we're very much interested in, in doing is helping to underpin that next level of leadership within Africa so that they can become once again self-sustaining by having those strong communities where education, their business, their village life is, is back to the way that they traditionally live and therefore they can be healthy and strong communities once again. Hmm, that sounds lovely. I, I think we have Lynn back on, Lynn. All right. Yay, we can hear you. Thank you. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and leave and let you two continue the conversation. Okay. Well, we apologize for our uh, our technical difficulties there, but uh, we're going to continue with our uh, uh, continue with with the show at, at this point. Um, so, Christopher, um, I'm I'm hearing you say that that the goal is um, self sustaining. So, initially, you come in to a situation, and what do you do initially? Well, in every situation that we are in, where we um, basically are, are invited to uh, into a certain situation, and the and the seven projects that we currently have, our our footprint is that uh, when we see needs happening and are identified by uh, again a request by local people or uh, an on the ground uh, situation, people who are, are aware of us, um, we take a look at the whole situation. But critical to where we work is that we need a very strong local partner. That is uh, a community person who has credibility and is established within the community who is really already uh, working within that context. Because again, you know, remotely from 22,000 kilometers away sitting in Kitchener, Ontario, we can't run projects on the ground in Africa. It just doesn't make any sense. Uh, mm -hmm. Plus, again, from a credibility and, and a reality standpoint, the best people to know how to serve their communities are people who live and work in those communities. So we identify very strong local leadership uh, in each context that we work, people that, as I said before, have credibility, people that have strong relationships, positive relationships in the community, people that have the ability to uh, make things happen in the community. They have uh, great uh, communication relationships and, and links within the community. And then we surround them with our resources. So what that looks like, whether it's uh, financial or additional assistance through other of, of our projects, um, we sit down with them and they really outline the projects to us. Obviously within our mandate we have parameters of what we do and our interest and our mandate says that we work with vulnerable widows and orphans. Uh, predominantly from a, uh, an education and basic resources standpoint. So in their communities where they are serving that population, they identify all the people in need, and then they, with our help, come up with a plan how we can start working on that sustainability piece. And uh, we do that through funding education for orphans who have no other resources to access school, and we also do that through funding uh, training conferences for widows 
who have no means of support, so we give them uh, basic business training uh, so that they can then create a home enterprise and become self-sustaining. So those are really the uh, four ways that we work in partnership with the uh, local African leadership to, uh, create, to create that process of self-sustaining communities. Right, and I and I think that's very important because, as you said, it's pretty hard for someone uh, sitting in Kitchener to really understand what the needs uh, in a village in Africa might be. Well, and it's amazing, too, because, again, despite the amount of time that I have traveled and worked in Africa, the nuances of community life, uh, the style of communication, you know, and we're talking in spite of language. I don't have command of the local languages where I travel. That's uh, because of the number of dialects. And uh, it's just I'm not there long enough at any one time to pick up the language. Uh, so I work in the realm of uh, translators. Uh, just those nuances of day-to-day -day communication, it's very difficult, even on telephone and email, to, to effectively uh, work in that context. And so by having that strong local leadership, um, we have credibility in the community. And again, in the local community, it's not about Project Hope. It's about the people and the leaders there. We are a support system. And so our goal isn't to have Project Hope signs all over Africa saying, we're here, we're working. Our goal is to have really healthy, strong people who are supported, who are doing smart things in their community, just like we try to do here in our local context. We try to make good choices. And uh, I often remind myself, when I'm traveling in communities and villages in Africa, the less talking and the more listening that I'm doing is better because it's not about me talking and telling anyone anything. It's about listening and finding out how Project Hope can best walk alongside and support these people who are at risk. So um, Lynn just uh, got her connection got dropped, so this is Rioa again and stepping in. So one of the things that I'm hearing that I just love is that you, you go into what's there, strengthen the infrastructure, um, and then help people in the way that is going to work in their community, not necessarily bringing in your own way that you think it's going to work, but really trusting the people to know what's best for them and then gifting them the resources to maintain and build a community. And, and yeah, and that's what drew me to Project Hope originally as well. We are not, we are not a bricks and stone organization. We're a flesh and blood organization. And again, you know that that creates a, a bit of difficulty when we're raising money because obviously, you know there are a lot of capital uh, project-related organizations that they build buildings and they do great infrastructure projects that are physical in nature. Uh, we are very much about vulnerable people, and the only way to accomplish that is you have to have those incredibly strong relationships within the communities where we have people that we have faith in, we trust them, we know that. You know, we're not there all the time, but the money is going where it's supposed to be going. They're, they're working hard for those people. And really one of the challenges I have is that the people that I'm working with, you know, to a fault, they go above and beyond and put themselves at risk because they, they stretch the resources so well and they love the people so desperately. Um, they really do live and die within their communities. And so it is a real faith journey that we take with these folks. And, you know, we do invest in people. And that is also a leap of faith because, you know, again, at the end of the day, I can't say to a donor, here's a building that you donated. Uh, it's standing there. There's a bricks and stone. There's a key on the door. We can control access. With people, they're not like buildings. You can't control them. All we can do is we've been called to this ministry and this mission to serving vulnerable people. And, uh, again, since 2001, it's been amazing to walk along a, a really a life journey with uh, women and children 
some who've been incredibly successful, unfortunately far too many that have died along the way. Um, but even with my last trip last June, some incredible stories of people who have seized the opportunity and uh, really worked with the relationship and are really really becoming that self-sustaining thing that we are, are again, mandated to help sustain in communities. Lynn, I believe um, we can hear you typing, so I think you can go ahead and try to speak. Back. <laughs> You're back. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, it's uh, We are having some challenges today. It's uh, interesting, but uh, we're going to get this story told anyway, Christopher, <laughs> one way or another. Um, so I'd like to um, talk about how the projects are funded. Um where where do you find the funding for these projects, Christopher? Well, one of the great things about Project Hope, one of the challenging things about Project Hope is we are a very small charity. It's one of the reasons, too, that I was drawn to this, this uh, organization in the first place. We are not a huge conglomerate. Um, again, our physical operations are basically a 500-square-foot uh, one-room office in Kitchener, Ontario, and a very uh, affordable uh, business office uh, suite of offices. Uh, there is me in the office and the board of directors stretched across Canada. And uh, our funds come from uh, our friends and champions. We don't necessarily call them donors, but we have friends and champions across Canada uh, and the U.S. that have really made a life journey with Project Hope. And, and by giving us resources, some give faithfully every month, uh, and others uh, through the year as campaigns roll out through the year. And, and those friends and champions, a lot of individuals and families across the country, um, churches from different communities, uh, and, and now because of some interesting things that have been happening with Project Hope, um, we've been having some corporations come alongside and uh, support us with some, in some very unique and uh, exciting ways. So basically, like a lot of charities who are, are struggling to find critical resources for our projects, um, it really comes down to those individuals who are very faithful to um, what we're doing and share their heartbeat and their passion for those that we serve, and that's where uh, our resources come from to fund the projects. Mm-hmm. So um, giving on a monthly basis, um, We've never really talked uh, a lot about that on the um, on the program. This is really the first time that has come up. But uh, you know, if if someone is can give a small amount every month, um, that's really an ideal situation for the organization, and it also um, can allow people to give a little bit more over the year, probably. You know, because they're writing a smaller check um, each month. Um, so, what amount is enough to set up to to do a monthly um, donation, Christopher? Well, again, that that's in the hands of the donor. A donor can can do whatever amount they can afford. Um, probably speaking from an averaging perspective, you know, our range we have people that give fifteen, twenty dollars a month because we work in the context of uh, even though, you know. An individual donor doesn't sponsor an individual vulnerable person uh, mm -hmm. in Africa. Uh, obviously, CRA doesn't let that happen anymore, and that's not the context that we work in. But we work in the context when donors contact us, they basically are saying, okay, we understand what you do. Help me understand how I can best serve that need. 
and you know if you're paying education for a child for say in public school what does that really cost to pay for a child's fees to go to school each year so then we can share with them well you know it's fifty dollars for school fees it's twenty five dollars for a school uniform and books so really you're looking at seventy five dollars to pay school fees so then a donor would turn around and say okay well if i give twenty five dollars a month you know in that context then i know that i'm helping to serve x number of children access mm-hmm. school through the year uh... so that's the way the footprint has worked for us and it's amazing because since two thousand one when they established that uh, originally when they created project hope uh, most people do it through pre-authorized uh, giving through their mm-hmm. bank account. As we know, checks are becoming obsolete. And uh, so people set it up, and uh, they uh, can access uh, our online giving. And uh, we send them just a form that they fill out with their bank. And then either the first or the 15th month at their choice, um, that withdrawal automatically happens. And then really from an administration standpoint, it really eliminates a lot of the cost of administration because that all takes place automatically. There's no fees involved. 100% of the donation gets transferred. 100% of the donation goes to the source. And then at the end of the year, they get their receipt, and they don't have to go looking for monthly receipts and and try to track all that. It just becomes a very interesting process and mm-hmm. you know it's it as you said before from a charitable perspective you know when you have that lifeline of people because we have friends and champions not donors then i know every month i have people whether they're actively thinking about that that money's leaving their bank account i know that they are somewhat actively thinking about what's happening with project hope and the people that they're serving and mm-hmm. that's just very a very secure feeling for us as an organization to know that you know, the charitable world is a very lonely path, and uh, because literally in our context, if we're not successful, um, lives can be lost because people are constantly at risk, and those limited resources that don't make it where they need to go, you know, people are are such at risk that unfortunately we lose them, and that becomes mm-hmm. a very lonely journey. So to know that you have a team of friends and champions sharing, walking that journey with you. Um, that's an incredible support, not only to us here in, in Canada, but when I travel in Africa, that's a constant conversation we have. And when I meet with people, they say, please tell them in Canada how much we love them. Tell the people that are are part of our community how much we appreciate what they're doing for us. And so really it is a true partnership. Mm-hmm. I think just that that monthly amount, that's something that keeps you connected all year Round like from the donor's perspective, it also keeps them connected all year uh, round. So I think that's uh, I think that's a great uh, a great way to do things. And you mentioned the corporate donors. Um, are the corporate donors giving you cash, or are they getting involved in other ways? Uh, uh, in a couple of some, uh, it is a cash uh, relationship. Um, but we had a very unique new partnership come along starting last January through, a, again, you know, there are things that you just can't create. And if I tried to do some of these things on my own, they would never happen. Um, but I had a corporation come my way, and we were uh, talking about the work of Project Hope. And uh, whenever I'm in those situations, and uh, I always ask, you know, the same questions of the corporation, not not because I'm looking for a donation, but again, when you're building relationships, it's all about understanding, 
you know, who you're dealing with and what their passions are, what their business setup is, because that's how you learn things. Mm-hmm. And through those conversations, uh, it just so happened that the company that uh, I was speaking with was a dairy supply company. Now, again, mm-hmm. Project Hope, you know, we don't, we're not a dairy uh, project. We don't have uh, such things, and I don't know anything about the uh, dairy supply world. But as we chatted, and the person heard about what Project Hope does, he said to me, he said, is there something our company could do for you? And I said, I don't know. What would you like to do? He said, well, he said, we're just rolling out some new technology. And he said, do you have any dairy farmers? Mm-hmm. And I said, well, uh, we do have some some projects that have uh, cows. And he said, well, he said, I'd like to donate one of our units. And he said, if you'll take it to Africa, he said, we'll gladly give it to them and uh, they can use it. And basically this new technology uh, from Dairy Quality in, in uh, Newmarket, Ontario, is a unit that allows a farmer standing beside the cow to test the milk right after they milk the cow, and it tells the farmer if the cow is sick and if the milk mm. is safe to drink. Now, wow. I, happen to have a, I happen to have a fantastic partner in Yangambi, Zambia, which is near the Congo border, who keeps cows and cattle and solely for the purpose of giving the milk to the orphans. And uh, so I took this technology, I emailed him, and I said, Gordon, uh, I've had an offer of this technology. Is this something that you would use? It happens that Gordon is a very smart guy. And uh, he said, yes, we would love to have that. The technology, the unit itself, was $2,500. And uh, so I took that technology in June uh, to the farm out in Yangambi, and on an early Sunday morning at uh, 6 a.m., stood there as they milked the cow, and then tested the milk, and sure enough, the cow had a strep infection. And wow. uh, they've been worried about this cow. And the, and the critical piece is that for them, if they lose a cow, um, mm-hmm. that's a huge resource that they've yeah. lost. And yeah. so by knowing that the cow is sick, they do have access to some antibiotics so they can get the cow healthy. But more important than that, they won't be giving that cow's milk to any orphans until the cow is healthy. So within a 30-second period, what they would have no access to knowing, that first-world technology has changed the situation for them. They were thrilled. Mm -hmm. When I came back to Canada, I shared that with Dairy Quality. They were thrilled because their corporate responsibility and participating in such a way that they were really providing something valuable to, to the folks there. But also, it's great for their corporate footprint here in Canada to say, you know what, we're involved. We're doing something yeah. responsible. And again, that's not a financial relationship, but the interesting dominoes that have resulted from that is, number one, you know, they have contacted all their corporate clients. It's on their website. The video is on their website. And people are reading about Project Hope across North America and across the world. All of their world partners know that they have a relationship with Project Hope. Well, for me, I couldn't invent those connections. Now, whether that right. adds up to any big donations, the point is it's a, it is a very positive relationship that is doing what we're all trying to do, and that is help vulnerable populations. The other interesting mm-hmm. piece is that, you know, Land Lakes, which is based in South Africa, heard about this technology. They're familiar with our projects, uh, again, through this partner in Yangambi, so they want access to this technology on a for-profit basis, which is great for dairy quality. And 
Vets Without Borders, who are currently working in Ethiopia, also heard that we did this trial, and they want to get involved. So all of these world partners are coming together. And again, those are things that I couldn't create, but again, through a simple conversation where it wasn't about, you know, can we make a donation, but it's what do you do, what do we do, what are the common denominators that could we work together to create a positive relationship that gets us all to the end goal. And at the end of the day, you know, we have another way to make sure that orphans are healthy and getting healthy resources in Africa. Yes, that's great. That's a, a great story um, of the uh, the interrelationship and and cooperation between those groups. That's uh, terrific. And the, the the company's name is Dairy. Dairy Quality. Dairy Quality. Yeah, that's what I thought it was. Yeah, DQ. Yeah. I, I I find it easy to remember with DQ. <laughs> you know, they, they they just a couple of weeks ago went into a big meeting with the Canadian government. And the only one of the main things they talked about was their relationship with Project Hope. And I was just smiling, thinking, isn't it amazing how one thing leads to another? And when it is the right kind of relationship where everybody is is being successful, it's not about the success. It's about people recognize the significance and the importance of what those real relationships can do it, put in the right hands of the right people. Yeah, that's wonderful. We're going to take this moment um, just to go for a, a quick break, Christopher, and then we'll hear more about this story when we come back. Is there a contribution that you dream of making? In society, planned giving seems to be presented as something you do once you're incredibly wealthy or planning your estate. Step Right with Lynn focuses on good money management and planning your contribution at every step based on the issues important to you. Learn how to expand the goodness around you and take responsibility for the issues important to you. Tune in for Step Right with Lynn every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Central Time, 7 a.m. Mountain Time, and 6 a.m. Pacific Time on AtoZen.fm. This is Step Right with Lynn. Lynn Wedham is a certified financial planner. To participate in the program today, please call toll-free in the U.S., 815-880-8255. That's 815-880-TALK. Or in Canada, 613-800-8736. Or you can Skype us at atizen.fm. You can also make the choices to ask or comment by email by sending to lynn at stepright.ca. Now, back to the program. with Lynn. I'm your host Lynn Wedham. Today my guest is Christopher Graves from Project Hope and we've been um, talking about um, their support of um, widows and orphans uh, in Africa. Um, a lot of this is uh, by way of education and resources that they provide. Um, so Christopher, Project Hope uh, has a mandate for sustainability and accountability. What does that really look like on the ground in Africa? Well, obviously, you know, every charitable organization and and with the critical eye that is on all things uh, charitable, particularly Africa these days, um, you know, that accountability to where the dollars are going uh, is critical to um, our credibility as an organization and as our viability uh, as an organization. And um, as well, what it, the mandate really looks like on the ground is that 
as we work with these very strong, competent local community leaders. Um, it is a constant uh, check-in. It is a constant review of uh, and measurement of what's happening on the ground uh, and in communities. And basically what it looks like in a shell is uh, each year we go through a process where the project partners um, review what's happening in their individual situations. Uh, for instance, um, in Chapada, which is near the Malawi border in Zambia, uh, we have a project where they do widows training each year where they take a group of widows and uh, take them through business training and uh, life training and banking, et cetera, uh, to help them build uh, home-based enterprises. And uh, then they continue to track with all of those widows month by month through the year. And then when I go each year and sit down with the project partners, uh, we review all of that documentation because it is all documented. We look at where the funds have gone from running the conference and where all the seed money has gone because each widow that participates gets seed money to start their own home-based business. Um, as they've been taught banking and basic accounting, each of those women keeps a ledger. And, and it is amazing because they're quite excited. The widows themselves meet with me and the project leaders, and they are so excited to share with me their ledgers. They want me to look at the numbers because part of the training is that they have to each month account for where all their money is going. Some of the money has to be reinvested into their business. Obviously, they're buying food resources for their families. The parts that they love to show me is where they are helping to pay for their children's school fees or where they're able mm -hmm. to buy medicines for their children. And so from an accountability perspective, that's really how we track and know that at the end of the day, the dollars are going where they are supposed to be going. Um, right. From a sustainability perspective, it also helps us because then we can constantly review the mandate of what we're doing in projects and ensuring that all of those parameters are in sync with those things. Mm -hmm. So what's your favorite story uh, about um, a widow who's gone through this training, um, learned some business and life skills? Um, what kinds of things are you seeing happen and, and what's your favorite story? Well, it's it's quite interesting because uh, as I've uh, first got involved with Project Open was touring all of our projects initially uh, in Zambia and Tanzania. Uh, one of the really frustrating things for me in my Western context was that you know we we supply uh, we pay school re school fees for uh, an inordinate number of orphans, and these orphans have to wear school uniforms. Uh, to school, which I had a donor challenge me the other day. He says, I just don't see why they have to wear school uniforms. And I said, you know, in our context, we don't understand it, but in their culture, in their community, that's just what they do, and it's not for us to judge. It's just the way they operate. And um, one of my frustrations has been is that those school uniforms are all bought, purchased uh, outside of their local communities. And uh, I started saying five years ago to some of my partners who we were doing widows conferences with, I said, you know, wouldn't it be amazing if the schools in the community were able to buy their uniforms from our widows? If we could train mm -hmm. our widows how to sew those school uniforms, and if they could buy those school uniforms from our widows, A, the money would stay within the community, B, it would give a fantastic industry for our widows, and an ongoing resource because there's always kids going to school, and there's always right. another school year where another uniform is going to be needed. And when I originally 
kind of floated that idea, and it was basically an education point for me. They said to me, no, it's never going to happen because they always buy their school uniforms from XYZ that is either in the capital or somewhere else uh, in the country. They don't buy them locally. Mm-hmm. And so, again, because it's not my place to tell them this is what they have to do, I just constantly reminded them, saying, you know, wouldn't it be a dream ticket item if this ever happened? And when Chapada really came on strong, and again, through a series of very interesting events, um, I had some people invite me out to coffee one day here in Kitchener, and they said, you know, we've heard about Project Hope, uh, we love the footprint of Project Hope, and we just really feel we need to do something for Project Hope, and we've had some bequest money come along, and um, we were wondering if we could buy sewing machines for your widows to learn how to sew. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't believe it because, again, it wasn't something that I was actively pursuing, a donation for sewing machines. And uh, so they made the funding available that we were able to buy uh, the folks in Chapada sewing machines to use as a resource uh, for their widows' conference, but also wow. as a weekly sewing circle. So that was two years ago. So jump forward two years, uh, and when I visited this year, Uh, They've been through a couple of generations now of widows' conferences, and they have faithfully uh, each month continued with it's called Mary's Circle, uh, Sewing Circle, and they have the widows uh, with their business training continue to sew, and they come to the center, and uh, they learn how to sew uh, each week. And I was visiting one of the widows in her home, and she pulled out a a child's school uniform, and it was beautiful. And wow. uh, But the most exciting part was the school, the local school, was buying girls' uniforms from her. Wow, and, that's terrific. Uh, I, I, it wasn't something that they had thought to communicate to me, um, but when all the dots came together and I could see, you know, five years ago, kind of the dream ticket to see this happening, and then now to see one of our widows sewing school uniforms for the school – uh, I couldn't believe it. It was a real answer to prayer. Um, uh-huh. I was so excited. And and just the pride of this widow, knowing that she was not only doing something that was generating income, but she had status in the community. You know, widows are nobodies in yeah. in African society. So the fact that she was a somebody and she had mm-hmm. respect and she had self-worth, I mean, the value in her life, the health and impact in her life, to be in charge and having some measure of control over her day-to-day life. And so I said to her, I said, her name is Justina, and I said, Justina, I said, how much do school uniforms cost? And she said, uh, 27 kwacha in Zambian currency. And uh, I said to her, I said, could I buy one of your school uniforms? And she got so excited, and she said, you want to buy one of my uniforms? And I said, well, I want to take it home and show the donors who donated the sewing machines what you are accomplishing. And uh, so I bought that uh, school uniform and I brought it home. And uh, again, just to see kind of how, you know, for me it's not, our our mission statement isn't a tagline. You know, sustainability and accountability and and really raising strong communities, it can't be a tagline. It's a it's a marathon that you know we've still got a lot of work to do, but to see those small victories and where you see these people becoming self-sustaining, um, mm-hmm. 
those are the amazing life stories that that you know even when you have the discouraging days when you feel like you know you've you've gone five steps backwards um, or you've lost a, a critical person in the community that's that's the joyful stories where you say okay let's keep going let's get on to the next thing yes yeah that's that's a that's a wonderful story yeah and it must have it must have really made the people who purchased the sewing machines who donated that those funds uh really feel good to know that that cuz that's just that's just one of the things that's happening with their donation right right and that and that's the thing for them to see the real time outcome um of the, of that process. And again, a lot of times unless it's bricks and stone, it's very difficult to show those things. But to be able to, you know, have them be a part of the life story. So it is a relationship. And and what I try to help our friends and champions, you know, clearly understand every step of the way. You know, we're in this big community. Yeah, we're thousands of kilometers separated by distance, but it is a community. And even though, you know, we may not ever meet face-to-face, you know, this unique relationship we have that, you know, is based upon, you know, we want to do smart things with our resources and share our resources properly um, so that that the gift is not just a one-time gift. It is a lifetime gift. And so for that donor to understand, they made possible a resource that is actually changing lives. Um, You know, you've you've got a donor for life. But you mm-hmm. also have a donor that understands they're not just a donor. They're part of this community. And for me, you know, that that's the value of participation. That's the significance of the journey. It's not for just sure. about money because there's never going to be enough money. But if you have enough heartbeats and enough people understanding, we are striving to build strong communities. Well, I think part of that responsibility is we want to build a strong community here as well as on the mission field. Right. Right. I, I really liked your comment about doing smart things with, with our resources um, because that is one of the, um, you know, that's one of the main messages of Step Right with Lynn is that if we all do smart things, even with our resources here in Canada, if we do some thinking and some planning, we have a little something to to uh, give to to someone else as well. So I think that's a, a really, um, you know, a really good um, fit with um, uh, and and a, and a very important part of your story as well. Um, when you are choosing communities, how do you go about choosing a community? Do you find that that there are real differences between different communities in Africa, or are there more similarities than differences? Well, it's kind of a twofold process. Um, we don't, we're not actively looking to just have all kinds of projects because, again, you know, you can have all kinds of projects and not, and never enough resources. So, we've we've limited ourselves by our own capacity, and and really, for us, the benchmark is if we don't have that strong local leader to to be in charge in an African context, we're at a standstill. So really, it has been a slow process because it takes time to build relationships and to find those key people. And, you know, the other piece is that Project Hope, we tend to work where nobody else is. You know, Mm -hmm. um, I often smile with people. I say, you know, if you want to find Project Hope, go to the end of the earth, and we're about 10 miles beyond that. (laughs) And so when I'm traveling to Africa, 
you know, the easy part is getting to Africa. The hard part is getting to the project because it takes forever to get to the project from, you know, landing in Lusaka, for instance, in Zambia. So for us, um, it is a very slow-moving process because, again, um, it is a marathon, not a sprint, helping these communities become self-sustaining. So we, again, where we find a real strong local person, a lot of that comes through our inner con uh, contacts in Africa where uh, our Chipata project came through another partner who uh, was aware of the situation in Chipata, knew that these strong people were working in Chipata. Uh, we met with them, and over a course of a couple years, I identified that they really were um, critical people to be working with on the ground because of their investment in local people. And again, our footprint is we work in the in the context of agency agreements. So we actually sit down when we get to the point of, okay, we are going to work with you as a project, and we have an agreement with those people where all the expectations from both sides of the partnership are clearly outlined, where the responsibilities lie, where the accountability lies, what the units of measurement are, so that there is clear definition to what our partnership looks like. And and we revisit that. It's a living document that we that we revisit. And and sadly, you know, I have had circumstances where after a period of time I've said to a partner, you know, you know, you know what, we're not living up to that document. We're going to have to suspend things and we're not going to be able to work with you right now. And that, mm-hmm. unfortunately, hasn't happened a lot. But that's also part of the accountability of what we have to do. We have to be doing that self-checking and make sure, are we a healthy organization, you know, with that mandate? And every mm-hmm. request that comes along, you know, the litmus test is, A, does it fit with our mandate, and B, is there that local person leading the charge that if we decide that we could commit some resources to that area, is there that person on the ground living and dying with this community that we can be a partner to? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, we're going to take this moment just to go for another um, break, Christopher, and um, we'll want to talk about some of your challenges after this break. Is there a contribution that you dream of making? In society, planned giving seems to be presented as something you do once you're incredibly wealthy or planning your estate. Step Right with Len focuses on good money management and planning your contribution at every step based on the issues important to you. Learn how to expand the goodness around you and take responsibility for the issues important to you. Tune in for Step Right with Len every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Central Time, 7 a.m. Mountain Time, and 6 a.m. Pacific Time on A to Zen.fm. This is Step Right with Lynn. Lynn Wedham is a certified financial planner. To participate in the program today, please call toll-free in the U.S. 815-880-8255. That's 815-880-TALK. Or in Canada, 613-800-8736. Or you can Skype us at a to zen.fm. You can also make the choices to ask or comment by email by sending to lynn at stepright.ca. Now, back to the program. So welcome back to our show today called Building Strong Communities One Orphan at a Time. Uh, my guest is Christopher Graves from, from Project Hope, and uh, we've been learning about um, some of the projects that they're working on um, in Africa. Um, so, Christopher, um, what do you find are are the 
the biggest challenges um, to the work that you're doing um, on the ground in Africa? Well, obviously, having the right resources at the right time is is you know primarily one of the one of the critical needs, and um, and that's not just funding. Um, you know, there are times when there's a particular resource you need or an answer you need to a very difficult situation, even though um, it might be out of our context. When I just don't have that given solution for a particular problem, uh, mm -hmm. so that's always a challenge. And obviously, you know, as a small charity. And we're you know coast to coast to coast in Canada, uh, getting the word out so that you know those people who really want to be part of a significant thing can engage with us, and not just from a financial relationship, but again, the lifeline is having really people that share a heartbeat. You know, again, I go back to those friends and champions of Project Hope. That's really uh, the answer for us, who understand that they have a valuable role to build, to be a, a part of a building community and a strong community. And so not only finding, you know, those right resources, but finding sustainable resources that, again, one of the challenges for me is that, you know, if a donor does approach me or an organization approaches me, you know, sometimes what they want to do and what we do, they just it just doesn't match. And, mm -hmm. you know, as hard as it is some days, you have to say no. If somebody comes along and says, you know, I want to build a school for you, I say, that's great, but that's not what we do. Or somebody comes to me and say, well, I have a bunch of people, a mission team. We want to go to Africa and build something for you. I say, well, that's great. That's just not us, you know, but I can mm -hmm. help you find another organization that that's what they do. For us, it's really right. finding those people who understand that, you know, it is a journey with us and making an investment in communities. And it's not just about the money, but it is really fostering the sense of, helping people become self-sustaining and that's and that's a trust journey because again you can't control that you can't put a lock and key on a person and say this is what you have to do go do that so for us it's having that relationship and that's as we know building those kind of relationships takes time mm -hmm. i was dealing with a lady not long ago and she made a very significant in our context a very significant to pro donation to project hope and i called her and i didn't know this lady and i said <clears throat> can i come and have coffee with you and she said, why do you want to do that? And I said, well, I just want to have a conversation with you about your donation. And so I went and met with this lady in Toronto, and I didn't know her, and we sat. And I said to her, I said, can I just ask you, I said, why did you make that gift to Project Hope? And she said to me, she said, that's a bit of a strange question. And I said, I know, but I said, we don't have any relationship with you. And I said, you know, you have to understand that gift was like a million dollars to us, even though it wasn't a million dollars. And I said, can you just tell me why? I said, it just helps educate me. And she said, well, she said, I saw your website. She said, I heard a little bit about you. And she said, I like you because you're small. But she said, mostly, she said, I like you because you live your life with people. And she says, as an organization, she said, it's not about bricks and stones. She says, you live and die with the people you serve. And she wow. said, and you're small. And she said, so that's where I want my money to go. And for me, that was valuable information. And the relationship that I now have with that individual and the, and the people that she's been talking to about Project Hope, but she also said to me, she said, I appreciate that you came to me asking those questions and not asking me for another donation. Aww. And I said, well, yeah. I said, again, the relationship is key because if I don't understand why people are in relationship with us, that's counter to what our mandate is as an organization. And so, so that's one of the big challenges is because you have to have time to make those connections. Yeah. So I'm finding, I'm, I'm hearing you say not only are you finding a community that fits, 
and people on the ground in Africa who are already there who fit, but also your people here in Canada are people who fit. Right. Yeah. And and again, that's not something you get from a general mailer. That's not something you get from a typical ad that you put in a newspaper. It is really finding them one by one, which is a slow process. Um, mm -hmm. But again, it's amazing what happens because what I find over and over again, when people, when I have time to engage with people, and again, in this fast-paced world where you know things are happening so quickly and people don't have time to pay attention, uh, what I find is that when people do take a moment to really hear about the story of Project Hope and the way that we work and our unique footprint, um, it pays huge dividends in terms of their response and then in their willingness to slow down and say, wait a minute, this is important. This is different. This is not just a financial deal. This is something mm -hmm. different. This is I can see how this is important to Africa. I can see how this is important to communities. And I can see how this is important to real women and children. Mm -hmm. And when that transaction happens, if I can put it that way, then it does pay huge dividends in terms of a relationship that it may not be about just a financial contribution. It may be like the corporation Dairy Quality. It might be about you know an organization that has other resources to bear that I don't have a capacity to gain or pay for, but a relationship you know that builds a real strong community. And that's a challenge because you know you can't put an ad in the paper for those kinds of things. Just like we have to find great leaders and great people in Africa, we have to find those same people here, and they exist. Sometimes it just takes a minute to get them to slow down so you can have the conversation. Yeah, yeah. and I think, it's, I think it is really important that people find an organization that they, uh, that they feel that connection with in order to, um, to make their, their charitable donations because that's when it becomes a part of their life and part of their lifestyle. So I think that's really the ideal um, as well. So what are the next steps for Project Hope? Where are you headed next? Well, the next steps are are really we we are now in the uh, third generation of our widows' conferences in Zambia particularly. So we are constantly building new relationships and partners within community uh, in Zambia where we can bring more resources to bear for widows. One of the exciting things that has happened is that um, Everybody in Africa, even widows, have cell phones, and banking has gone to the next generation in Zambia where you can do your banking on your cell phone. So local banks have begun helping us set up widows with their own bank accounts on their cell phones. Um, mm -hmm. So that's been one of the next generations, and again, from a status perspective for a widow who is a nobody in community, that's a very huge piece of the puzzle. One of the other really interesting pieces for us, too, is in terms of next steps, is something that I've been really challenged with the last six months, is that we've been supporting orphans since 2001. So 15 years later, a lot of those orphans are now post-secondary age. And the amazing thing is that a lot of these orphans are extremely successful in school. Uh, in Zambia, like many countries, there is standardized government testing when it comes to exams. So whatever school they're coming from, if they're from a accredited school, they have to pay, pass the same exams an orphan does that a regular kid does who has all mm -hmm. the resources and opportunities, and right. they are wildly successful. So the question is, what do we do with these strong young orphans who are getting educated and have opportunity to progress? 
And really it fits with our mandate is if you want to build strong communities, you better find the next group of leaders who are going to be the mm -hmm. future community leaders. And where right. better to get those future leaders than from the same communities where they've grown up? But our challenge is uh, where do we find the resources to pay for post-secondary? And right. uh, that's something that we're grappling with. I feel keenly uh, from an organizational perspective that that's something we have to take a very long look at. That is a huge challenge. Um, mm -hmm. Even though post-secondary is more affordable in Zambia than it is here uh, in North America, it is still in the context of Africa. It is a lot of money, and yeah. and it's a risk. It's it's a risk. That's you know a yeah. lot more money than fifty dollars in school fees for a kid in public school. The university yeah. education is a little different. Yeah, but what it, is, if, it is. It is. It is. Yeah. It's very exciting though to think that that that's what your problem is at this point, right? <laughs> your well, your challenge. Your yeah. challenge and your opportunity have changed. We're really quickly running out of time, Christopher. Um, please tell people how they can uh, reach you, learn more, um, help you out if they uh, if they would like to. Everything is accessible on our website, www.projecthope.ca. Uh, from setting up monthly donations to contacting me, we have a Facebook page that's also accessible there. There's news and notes there of what's happening, what's, op uh, what's a possible. Uh, there's even a section there, some of our dream ticket items, things that just are way out of our reach that would be dream ticket if people could help us reach that through some uh, unique resources. And again, you can always call me. I love to chat with people on the phone to really chat about what's happening with Project Hope and just really excited by the opportunity to share the, the message of what Project Hope is doing around the world. Mm -hmm. We'll have to have you come back on again, Christopher, to tell us um, how things are going <clears throat> in a few months. Um, I know that you've only had the opportunity to tell us uh, about a few a few stories uh, of things that are happening, um, but thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for the opportunity. Great to chat today. It's been great. Um, so remember, you can always send me an email. That's lynn at stepright.ca. Uh, I'm here to help. I'd uh, love to hear what you think of the show. If you know of people uh, who are making a contribution to their communities, let me know. They might make a great guest for Step Right with Lynn. Um, we apologize for some of the uh, challenges at the beginning of this uh, show with the technology, um, but we are uh, we will certainly get Christopher back on again to tell more of this story, so you can look forward to that. So this is Lynn Wedham. The show is Step Right with Lynn. Until next time, take the right steps to support yourself, your family, and your community. Thank you for choosing to listen to Step Right with Lynn. Lynn Wedham will return next Wednesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Central, 7 a.m. Mountain, and 6 a.m. Pacific on AtoZen.fm. We hope you'll join us. Remember to celebrate your wealth by doing something for yourself, your family, and your community. Until next time. Mm -hmm.